Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio for friday september 19th 2008 episode 95 comes to you from studio b in beautiful coriopolis pennsylvania my name is joe hughes or radio joe and here with me in the studio is the z-man cliff slotnick good afternoon joe it's always a pleasure to work with you good afternoon cliff and at the controls we got the wingman chris boizel Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Chris. Our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wiles, with us. We'll uh, bring him on in a little bit. And we also have uh, Glenn Fellman coming in later today with the IE Connections What's News. Today's uh, segments include the microband trivia question, and we've got Major Long, fire restoration pioneer. He who ignores history is doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. IE Connections What's News with Glenn Fellman. And the Roundtable, where we'll bring everyone back to round things up. We've been working on that IAQRadio.com website with a blog every week after the show. Check it out when you get a chance. Before we go to the show, let's thank our sponsors. Our newest sponsor is Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at Legends-Enviro.com. And Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com Indoor Environment Connections the newspaper for the IEQ industry subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com Dry Ease Products providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right. To contact the show, you can call 724-444-7444. Enter our show ID, which is 1547. Press 1, and you can join the show. You can also download the show by going to our website, iaqradio.com. Follow the link that says go to the show, or you can go and uh, get the show from iTunes. We also appreciate any suggestions or questions you have. Take requests at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com or cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. You can also get your IICRC continuing education credits or IAQ Council renewal credits by emailing me and requesting a quiz. You can email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Get those uh, tough-to-get mold recertification credits from the IICRC now. 
We've uh, had a few requests for those. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to Cliff for the microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Before we do this week's question, congratulations goes out to Dan Reed, Intuitive Environmental Solutions, for answering last week's trivia question. Uh, the answer to that trivia question, which dealt with allergy and asthma, was antigen or immunogen. The microband trivia question for Friday, September 19th, 2008. Beginning to appear in Britain in the 1660s, these plaques, which clearly named the insurance company, were conspicuously placed on buildings to identify which residences and businesses were insured. Name one of the first signs of insurance. Very good. Cliff, let's uh, have you do the honors in introducing Major Long today. Okay. Do we have some intro music, Chris? Our guest today is what I consider to be the perfect embodiment of a Southern gentleman, Major Leonard Long. By the time I joined the predecessor of the Restoration Industry Association in the mid-1970s, Major Long had established himself as a successful entrepreneur, restorer, and disaster restoration industry leader. In the Atlanta, Georgia area, he built a highly successful disaster restoration business model known as Smokemaster, which he subsequently franchised. To the best of my knowledge, Major Long was the first disaster restoration consultant offering to fly anywhere to provide disaster restoration consulting and estimating services to fellow restorers. He was always ahead of the curve when it came to embracing and adopting or developing new technology, whether it was a spiffy new camera that could incorporate the date on photos or developing, using, and marketing what may have been the industry's first disaster restoration estimating program. Major was always approachable and willing to share his expertise and ideas. He was president of RIA's predecessor in 1980 and also served a stint as a disaster restoration technical director there. Major unselfishly shared business tactics, trade secrets with fellow restorers and association members. He is a humble and an unsung industry pioneer who now lives in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina. When Major learned that my family had developed some new smoke odor removal technology, he volunteered to beta test it for us. Major Long is the individual who taught me the most in the field of disaster restoration. We're privileged to chat with him today on IAQ Radio. Good afternoon, Major. Okay. Well, Major, why don't you give us a little bit of background about what you did before you went into uh, disaster restoration? Well, uh, I, I went into fire restoration at a very young age, but uh, in particular, I, after 
after attending uh, high school or graduating, I attended the University of Georgia for one year and found that uh, I wasn't really good at it, but uh, I would pick it up later. So I I joined uh, the 101st Airborne and for for two years uh, spent at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and then uh, um, uh, after leaving there, I I married Susan, my mm-hmm. first wife, uh, at 20 years old, for 21 years old, <clears throat> and I entered into partnership with my father-in-law in the construction of apartments and homes in which he, he built spec, spec homes and spec apartments, which uh, proved to be very risky because uh, working with him for four years, we went bankrupt. So this phase, though, proved very successful in, and useful in the, uh, for me in identifying structure methods and problems and components and uh, also the process of hiring and utilizing subcontractors and laborers was also an important tool that I learned during that period that fell <clears throat> that went forward in uh, my success in fire restoration. I think that's about... Uh, that's good. That's okay. Well, what, what caused you to uh, decide to enter the disaster restoration industry or disaster repair business? Well, after the construction failure, <clears throat> I partnered with a high school friend whose mother had a carpet cleaning business. He wanted to break away from his mother, <clears throat> and with my money, we started a new carpet cleaning firm with about $10,000. During this period, uh, several adjusters asked us to rectify some smoke damage, and uh, in this learning experience, I severed the partnership and started my new company, Smokemaster. I think that answers that one. Smokemaster, okay. It's a great name. Uh, What sort of equipment did did you have when you started Smokemaster? What did it consist of? Well, my upholstery uh, dry cleaning was accomplished with uh, a solvent and bucket mm-hmm. towel method. Right. Uh, and to wet clean, I used a certified upholstery machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, or by hand, I used a soap solution with a bucket and terry cloth towels. Mm-hmm. Very simple methods, but uh, at the time, they were uh, what we had to work with. Uh, on carpets, until they had been a steam, I used a Hill rotary brush solution tank machine mm-hmm. with a Hill tank vacuum for extraction. Mm-hmm. And then I purchased one of the first deep steam carpet cleaning machines uh, about 1975 for $5,500. And after using it for about two months, I purchased two more from the Canadian company. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that machine? You know, what did it look like? What was it made out of? Um, you know, was it hard to learn how to use it? You know, was it complicated? Uh, well, it was It was made out of completely shiny stainless steel, so it was an impressive piece of equipment to roll into, you know, into somebody's home or business. It had a base on wheels which held the mechanical components, and then it had two stainless steel commercial coffee pot urns on top of that that were the fresh water and recovery tanks. <laughs> also, they were so beautiful that seeing them in action would always bring tears to my eyes almost. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I remember those machines very, very well. They were, they, and I mean, fifty-five. What year was this? You spent fifty-five hundred dollars. Nineteen seventy-five. Wow. I mean, you could probably buy a car for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I suspect it was, but I at the time I was so impressed with steam carpet cleaning, and I had there was no one in even in the Atlanta area that had steam. So I was the first steam carpet cleaner in Atlanta, which is you know a big population. So it was it was uh, really it was a very impressive machine to me. Yeah, they used to drive. Uh, I'm sorry. They were always easy to break down, <clears throat> you know, for transportation into the job, and it weighed, I guess, about 75 pounds, and was usually transported upstairs with a crew of two, but um, could be handled with one strong employee, you know, by breaking it down. Uh, of course, by this time in my career, I managed to get out of most physical work, so I didn't have to. Well, um, you know, going back, I, I kind of remember those days as well. It was pretty dramatic because the customer, you know, could really see the difference. I think we used drag wands back then, you know, for cleaning the carpet. You kind of drag it across almost like a lawnmower, you know, moving backwards, and, and they were weighted. And uh, it was pretty dramatic. I mean, the photographs that you could take were really, uh, you know, whether they were postcards or whatever, the brochures that, that – were utilized to market that. It was a very, very impressive uh, program. Well, how did you wash walls back then? What did you use for that? Well, uh, at one point, uh, well, probably forever, I used uh, 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 a, a all-purpose cleaner, you know, in a bucket with mm -hmm. rags and a vacuum cleaner, you know, to, to pull it off or either terry cloth towels, but at one point, I bought a uh, uh, a machine <coughs> from, I believe it was a company called Wallmaster. Seemed right. like back then, everyone had to put master on there. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. But anyway, this was a, a wall cleaning machine, and I think I paid, uh, I know I paid almost $10,000 for it. Wow. And it, it didn't do twat. It, <laughs> it, you know, you'd put rags on the end, and it had a vacuum system and a, and a spray system, but uh, it didn't do as well as uh, just the hand. If we couldn't clean it with sponges then uh, and had to wet clean it, it probably needed to be painted anyway. So, uh, you know, you, you did the best you could to get the loose set off. And uh, that's all I was trying to do, not get, you know, a dirt and marks off the wall. I was trying to get the, <clears throat> the loose soot or the, the, at least the soot that I could get off before it was painted. Yeah, you know, my my hat still goes off to you. You know, chasing that technology. You know, you were always out there, and you know, a lot of times the first adopters really have the opportunity to take, uh, you know, it, advantage of this. So you were. I just wanted to check. You were using that machine to clean up after fires, or just general cleaning. Oh, I, I didn't do any general cleaning. I see. never. Okay, I just wanted to if make it sure. it wasn't smoked up, I didn't have anything to do with it. So you did some carpet cleaning, and then you started doing a lot of fire restoration. Right. I, I, I did clean carpets before I went into fire restoration, but that was, you know, the, the beginning. But then after I got involved in fire restoration, I would not clean carpet for people that had dirty carpet. 
Well, how did the, how did you get into the uh, fire restoration business? Did did adjusters call you, or you know, did they get to know about you through some other means? Well, I usually called on them uh, when I first found out I needed <clears throat> to uh, get my work from insurance adjusters, and uh, I found out where they all were, and I made it a <clears throat> made it a point to. Uh, call on them on a regular basis, whether they gave me any work or not, until, you know, they were sick of seeing me. But in most cases, if it was a big fire, uh, the only recourse was at the time for them to use Service Master, and a lot of them were very upset with Service Master by the time I I came in uh, to business. So uh, it was fortunate that I came in during that period. Uh, and I took a lot of their business away, of course, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, so many years. I think that's which a great pleased me, Which pleased me uh, enormously since uh, at one point, you know, they took my my name away. So yeah, we'll get I was it. glad we'll... to hurt at least their, their uh, Atlanta franchise. Yeah, well, we're going to get it. We're going to get into that in a bit. Uh, tell me a little bit about what your facility was like when you first started your business and then you know did it evolve at all and and how it may have evolved uh well when i first went into business uh, i was i was uh having to utilize my father-in-law's basement Mm -hmm. uh, to clean rugs because i didn't have a, a plant so it had it had so many posts in it that I could only clean about a quarter of a nine by twelve rug at a time. I had to roll it, roll it out, and you know, until I got the whole thing cleaned, and then I put it out in his backyard uh, to dry on the grass. But then the neighbors started complaining when they saw you know thirty or forty rugs out there. And right, right. <laughs> so I finally had to leave uh, that particular situation. Uh, but. Then uh, at some point after that, I, I rented a little warehouse that had about a thousand or twelve hundred square feet, and it, and I was able to use it to put furniture from fires in, and and also clean rugs and do whatever. You know, it wasn't wasn't big enough to really expand into, but it was a start. Until somehow one night it burned down with all the people's furniture in there that was that I'd already picked up from fire. So. The Atlanta Journal made a big deal of, you know, the the man that uh, specializes in cleaning up the fire damages is by his plant burns down. <laughs> so, so anyway, that was a bad start. But anyway, it was it was a start. And then I moved to another warehouse, and uh, eventually I got more fires and more trucks and more personnel, and uh, everything worked out real good. How did you come up with this vault storage idea and, you know, packing out and so on and so forth? Well, it's been a long, it's been an idea, you know, around for a long time with moving and storage companies. And I used to buy my boxes, you know, for pack outs uh, from moving and storage places uh, before I started buying them directly from the box people. But uh, I saw the way they they vaulted all their furniture and uh, it, it looked substantially neater than uh, what I was used to. So uh, I, I took that idea and went with it, and it, it worked out real good. I was just at a uh, big contents cleaning place this week, Amrestore, down in uh, 
Baltimore, and they have those big vaults all through the place. So uh, they're still using it today, Major. Yeah, and he was the, the fellow that introduced it to the industry. What did you use for smoke odor removal when you, you know, back in those days? Well, we used several different kind of machines. Uh, one was, uh, I still can't remember the name of the shotgun machine that you used to sell, the real long. Oh, that that was a thermogen. But before that, I remember you were using. Thermogen. I remember you were using a microgen ULV. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Well, that's the only one that I had, and and I really, uh, I don't think I, I I got real sold on it. I I just uh, uh, you can probably tell me, tell me more about what that machine is like than I can. Well, I remember I, that machine again. It was a state of the art machine, and that machine was probably three or four thousand dollars in the early seventies as well. And that was the first machine that could take a liquid and break it down into fine droplets. And what was cool about that machine is it was powered by a chainsaw motor. And there was a little blower on there, and the blower on there was actually the supercharger for a Porsche. And uh, you put the solution in, and, you know, I'll I'll never forget. uh, You had a photograph of, I think, one of your employees up in an attic, and I remember he had a red shirt. He was an African-American guy, and he had his respirator on, and, you know, he was up there just, you know, fogging the heck out of that attic. And I was pretty impressed, actually, because I, I knew about the technology because I came out of the pest control field, and, you know, we used them there. But, I mean, again, that was another pricey, you know, piece of equipment, and uh, you were one of the first people uh, that, that utilized it. Did your firm do full service major? Did you do decorating and, and painting and structural repairs and all that stuff, or did you just do personal property? Well, <clears throat> we did personal property, but we also did cleaning and deodorization of structure. We didn't, if it needed to be gone any further with painting or, or, or redecorating, then we left that for the contractors because uh, the contractors in Atlanta didn't have too many ways to, to, to get people to do the work we did as far as cleaning the structure before them. So they would utilize us as a subcontractor a lot. So we didn't want to in any way, you know, step on their toes. So we found it to be successful just to, just to work, you know, within the realm of the things we knew how to do. You know, what's interesting is your business, I guess, had its ups and had its downs and, uh, you know, what, how did you, let's talk a little bit about pricing and, well, first of all, let's talk about confidence. I mean, were you nervous when you would get called up for a project? Uh, you know, an adjuster would call you to clean a house or clean a building. I mean, did, did you get nervous or did, you know, the adrenaline get going? Were you confident or? Well, sometimes when, when I, I believe when I got a, uh, let's say a, uh, a, a high-rise building that has has had a fire and, and, and the executive floors are, are smoked up and I know that all of a sudden in order to make an impression I've got to you know have at least 60 extra people there and that would kind of make me nervous until I got everything kind of going in the right direction but uh, I, I knew I could do it because no one else could so I knew I could do it um, but that was that was something you know that I maybe would get a little nervous over. I know one uh, one particular one. I had a 
a real bad fire in a Firestone store that had a basement that had, I think it had 40,000 tires in the basement, and a lot of them burned up in that fire because the fire started in the basement. It had this awful, terrible tire, burnt tire odor, and I had to get a lot of people in there and day and night to clean. This was when I was first first went into business. And, uh, I stayed there for one, let's say one day, one night, and another day, and I was going into the second night, and I just passed out, and I had, I looked like I had yellow jongas, you know, from, I mean, my skin turned yellow, and I, and I just passed out, and they had to take me to the hospital, so I would say that would be uh, being nervous. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you may have been a little run down, too. Did they tell you in the hospital what they thought the problem was? They said they it looked like yellow jungus, but it looked like I was just exhausted, you know. So, and and my my body just turned on me, you know, and just said that's it, you know, and I just fainted. Well, if you so think about what you're breathing in that building as well, you know, particulate and uh, you know, right. I, you know, I don't think anyone really thought much about respiratory protection or anything back then. And you know, I think of the things that we did, you know, ripping off asbestos roofs and, and doing demolition and no one really thought much uh, about it how did you know how much to charge major did, did you how did you evolve your pricing method did you do this time and material did you do this unit cost did you kind of make it up on the fly did you keep records you know in the past of you know where you made money and where you may have lost money or was it intuitive I guess all of those things. Okay. <laughs> at, at one time or the other, I had to use whichever method was uh, asked of me. Uh, right. I, I preferred not to give, you know, prices beforehand on big jobs, but uh, sometimes I had to, so I just had to kind of wing it and, and guess. But uh, I, I didn't like to do time and material estimates. I just, I never... I never liked to do that. I, if somebody insisted on an estimate, I'd give them a, a line estimate, and they could take it or leave it. But uh, in a lot of cases, you know, if they just wanted me to do it and didn't care what it cost, then uh, it would probably cost them the same thing. But I would, I tried to always make money on on smoke damage losses. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just curious how how did you decide you know what methods work best or what doesn't what was it just trial and error did you have some resources you tried to pull together well let's take the uh, firestone store with the with all the tires in the basement that had to each be cleaned and so i got uh i, I never did, did it before but i thought well how am i going to do this so i got uh eight uh troughs that you have in uh for cows that are made out of metal and and they drink out of them mm-hmm. and so I got six of those so we could fill it full of uh, uh, soapy solution and they could just spin the tires in there and you know wash all the tires so that was something you just had to think up how are you going to do it you know and that that worked of course it didn't work on me very well on that job <laughs> we got the job done what about the the soot removal what, what methods were you using for that back then uh, well, we we had the chemical sponges back then, and that was, of course, the, the 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 best thing in the world for you know getting smoke off of uh, drywall, uh, my latex paint. Uh, 
So that was the primary method, but then I also uh, had a company make uh, some purple cleaner that was, uh, you know, like we get today, but mm-hmm. purple cleaner in the grocery store, but it's, it was the same thing back then, but I, I had them put them in gallon jugs for me with labels uh, stating they were smoke and grease remover uh, product, and uh, uh, that was something we used with a bucket and terry cloth towel methods to clean uh, enamel walls or, or, or surfaces that are, you know, not, uh, you know, that that can be washed. <laughs> you know, chemical, so, chemi- so, go ahead, I'm sorry. The chemical sponges you're aware of. Oh, yeah, and I, I would suspect that the chemical that you had made, you know, if it worked effectively, would have been similar to what the listeners would know as 409 or, or fantastic a lot of those have what's called a glycol ether in them or a degreaser uh, in them and i mean even windex utilized uh, uh you know some of that technology so it just depended how much and it, it's pretty good at melting that uh that's so. no no but i meant windex utilized uh, a glycol ether as well you know, but uh, not as strong as Fantastic or 409. So, you know, you're definitely right there. Well, you're the chemical man. Well, <laughs> no. I'm trying to be, man. <laughs> uh, well, let's, uh, before we move on, why don't we uh, quickly thank our sponsors one more time here, Absolutely. and then uh, we'll do the IE Connections What's News, and we'll bring you back. Absolutely. All right. First, uh, why don't I, I'll just hold on, man. Yes, there. sir. Just hold on. Thank you, Major. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Our newest sponsor is uh, Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dryes Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryes is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their products or services. Let's go to one of those sponsors now. we got the IE Connections. What's news with Glenn Feldman? Good afternoon, Glenn Fellman. Are you with us? I'm with you. Good afternoon. How are you today? Great, great. How about yourself? Couldn't be better. Couldn't All be right. better. What's news, Mr. Fellman? Well, today I'm going to give you a couple stories that come right out of the headlines of uh, CNN or Washington Post or whatever your, uh, your favorite media is. We're going to talk a little bit about the economy today, a little bit about politics, and a little bit about the weather. Oh. We'll start off with the economy. Uh hasn't been a good week on Wall Street. If you uh, have your head in the sand, you should get it out and take a look because it's a, a little bit frightening out there. What we did was we took a look at some of the companies that make up the um, indoor air quality and restoration industry. 
I wanted to see how they're faring this week and how they've been faring over the last couple of months. What we found wasn't really um, too alarming. It doesn't it doesn't match all the, the national trends, um, certainly not compared to when you look at uh, banks and insurance companies. I'll give you a couple examples. We looked at Pulte Homes, a major home builder. Um, they've, their stock's gone from uh, $15 up to about $17 um, today. They hit a low point of $13 yesterday, so very volatile up and down. Uh, we looked at Lennox, uh, one of the big air conditioning manufacturers. They were uh, at $30 this year, three months ago. This week, they've pretty much stuck up around the $37 range, and they've stayed pretty steady all week. Hmm. We looked at uh, the, some of the Jansan companies, Ecolab, for instance. Um, they were at about $45 three months ago. This week, they've ranged between 47 and 49. Uh, there's been some volatility there, but not nearly what we're seeing in other markets. And then we looked at some of the asbestos uh, companies, uh, abatement companies that are publicly traded. They're a lot smaller. But for instance, PDG Environmental and Intrex Corporation, uh, their stocks have varied um, over the course of the week, just a few pennies. These are stocks that usually trade for under 30 cents. Um, but they were higher three months ago. They, they were up as high as, as 40 or 50 cents. So we're seeing the volatility of the, um, of the market affect different segments differently, home building uh, obviously significantly. But overall, I have to say for the companies that make up what I call, quote, unquote, our industry, uh, this week hasn't been as brutal as it's been for a lot of the other markets in the, in the industry, or in the world, I should say. I wonder if that's partially because of the, the storms as well. You know, at the same time we're having this volatility in the stock market, there's a good bit of work from what I understand. Uh, yeah, it's interesting how uh, how the insurance companies are taking a beating on the one side, but uh, on the other side, the, um, the companies that provide products and services for disaster relief are obviously got a lot of business right now, which is a good segue into my second story, which is the aftermath of Hurricane Ike. Uh, a Category 2 storm that hit the coast of Galveston with the Category 4 storm surge and devastated the entire area around Galveston and made its way all the way up into Houston as a hurricane and blew out downtown Houston. I've been hearing from a lot of contractors, a lot of um, uh, service providers, people who do environmental work have said, you know, I'd like to get down there and help. We have people, we have equipment, we have knowledge, expertise. We just don't know who to talk to. How do we get in there? How do we help? So that's what I want to focus on today. I've identified four, five organizations that you can contact if you'd like to get involved in some disaster relief work. Start off with um, the air conditioning industry. If you, if you contact the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, they've mobilized groups of their members in and around the Houston area and areas uh, a little north that weren't as hard hit by the storm. They're helping air conditioning contractors to consolidate their distribution points, uh, really doing some great work. So if you're in the air conditioning side of the world and you want some support, you might want to go to the air conditioning contractors website, acca.org. The two major organizations representing the uh, water damage or, and disaster uh, damage restoration industries, those being the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, and the Restoration Industry Association are both on a sort of informal basis trying to link uh, organizations and companies together that can help one another and that can provide disaster relief. You want to check out IICRC.org and uh, Restoration, I don't remember the new RIA. 
AASCR.org will get you there. Okay, ASCR.org for, for the Restoration Industry Association. The Indoor Air Quality Association has some great consumer information. If you're talking to consumers who are sort of flustered about what they should be doing and what they should uh, want to know, you can go to IAQA.org, and there's a great fact sheet there for homeowners. Lastly, uh, FEMA, uh, who's taken their fair share of, of criticism, and justly so, throughout some, a lot of disasters. They do have a good section on their website, which is www.fema.gov. If you go to fema.gov slash business, you can find out how you can get your business involved as a FEMA contractor or a Department of Homeland Security contractor and how you can bid on projects related to this disaster relief effort. Very so good. I want to uh, put that out there. The last, uh, last thing I'm going to touch on today is a preview as to what you can look forward to next month in Indoor Environment Connections in our October issue. We have a fantastic uh, comparison of Barack Obama and John McCain and their policies as they relate to indoor environmental issues. You may recall several months ago during the primaries, we did a similar type of an article where we looked at all the different candidates from both parties and where their votes were in different environmental issues, and we did an assessment. Interestingly, the Republican IAQ candidate was John McCain, and the Democrat IAQ candidate was Barack Obama. Hmm. They both fared best in our, uh, in, in our primary polling on IAQ issues. So if you uh, vote with IAQ issues, you might want to look at our IAQ, uh, into me, our, our October edition, and see where the candidates stand on the issues that matter to you most. Very good. That's this, it, guys. You had some good stuff in this month, too. I uh, picked up uh, that Carl Grimes article was pretty interesting you talked about last week on the USGBC and the LEED program and all that. Uh, that article is going to be up on our website next week, uh, ieconnections.com. It's not up right now. They're, they're building up on the archive section. But if you go next week to ieconnections.com, look under the September edition. You'll see an article called, Is LEED Misleading? And uh, I, I recommend everybody read that article. It's a great read. Excellent. Thank you, Glenn. Can we bring you back for the roundup? Absolutely. All right. We'll look forward to it. Let's take a quick uh, look and see what Dr. Dieter's up to here today. Let's see if Dieter. Dieter, are you still with us? Oh, wait. Yes, I listen carefully. Uh, obviously, fire restoration is not uh, my area of expertise. But it did remind me that I have to clean up my house and get a professional in to get my carpets clean. <laughs> it's time for that, huh? I need I need professional help there. Uh, you know, renting a machine doesn't yeah, that that's not going to do it. I was curious when. No, we... uh, but, but the other thing is, and uh, I, I think this is an important um, uh, aspect of um, uh, fire restoration. I mean, if you, if you burn anything, and I don't care whether it is a pair of blue jeans or your sweater or polyurethane or plastic, it doesn't matter. Those, you know, these, these chemicals of thermal uh, combustion are pretty nasty. And you better be careful and protect yourself if you're going into an environment like that. Otherwise, you may be, and we heard that, yeah, you, you, you may end up in the emergency room. Uh, there is nasty stuff, you know, 10,000, no, not 10,000, many aldehydes and a couple of other nasty things that can be uh, um, released when, uh, you know, thermal decomposition. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
So you better be very, very careful there. Yes. Yeah, I thought about you when he was talking about the uh, tires and the, the rubber burning. I yeah. can imagine you can get some nasty stuff off of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, we did these studies at the University of Pittsburgh in the 1980s, you know, thermal decomposition products you know, from nylon, I mean, which is nasty. And we know that from the fire death, you know, people who really have their nose in there when it, when it is burning. But even afterwards, uh, that is still, you, you, uh, you better protect yourself. All right. Well, we'll bring you back for the roundup, Dieter. No problem at all. All right. Thanks for joining us. Let's go back to Major Long. Cliff? Okay. Major, you know, in your history, did you ever work for anyone uh, famous? Uh, you know I did. I, know. <laughs> uh, I, I did, was fortunate enough to be a consultant on uh, uh Jackie Gleason's house in Miami when he had a bad, a very bad fire, and he had it was an enormous uh, residence, and uh, it was just amazing to go in to see as many uh, things that he had. Like in the playroom, he had four pool tables, you know, that instead of having just one, and hmm. things like that. It was just amazing. His books were, he had. Uh, at least 3,000 books that were all first editions, leather bounds, and uh, every one of those had to be cleaned or, or pre-cleaned before it was put in a box so that it wouldn't be smashed in, you know. So, mm -hmm. so it was a very interesting job, and I enjoyed being on that one. What did, did he have photographs? I would imagine he had some really good photographs and things like that. How do you handle those during a fire damage? Well, it depends on whether uh, he had a lot of them that had glass uh, on, on the front, you know, protected by, you know, good framing and good good paper on the back. And usually those can be, you know, protected. But where you have uh, oil paintings, you know, that hit the, the crux of the heat, then sometimes you can't do anything for them. You know, if it's smoke, sometimes you can take care of it, you know, restore the painting or the or the print, but uh, if there's a lot of heat involved, they're, they're used, that's something that, as a consultant, I had to take each each piece and determine what can be done with it or whether it's a total loss. Did you send them off, the, the valuable, like the uh, oil paintings? Did they, I know people use like the Chicago Art Conservancy and places like that. Was that available to you then? Sure. Oh, yeah. It was, it's always been available in Atlanta or Miami or any big city there. You don't have to send it to a museum. There, there aren't restorers, you know, that actually a lot of them own framing places, that, and they also do uh, restorations, too. So uh, they're, they're more than glad to take care of it. And if, they, if it can be done, then they'll do it. Very good. Cliff? Um, did you get it? Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you handled wood furniture, you know, that you would run into. Uh, wood furniture was, um, we had a product from a chem spec called wood cream that, uh, mm -hmm. and I think you, a later, had the same thing. Similar color, another, right. another name. And, which was very good on, uh, you know, taking the smoke off of uh, hardwood furniture, and uh, and also on smoke had a uh, a little canned uh, deodorant that they had in cans that you could put in the drawers to right. 
over a period of time that would remove the smoke odor, which were very good. We used a lot of those. What what, uh, what would you do if cleaning didn't work? Well, then we didn't do refinishing ourselves, but we would send it out to be refinished or either determine whether the piece is worth refinishing. You know, if, if we found in the plant that we could not restore the hardwood uh, piece to, you know, pre-fire condition, and it was going to cost, in my estimation, more to refinish it than it would be the total loss it for the customer, then I would give the customer that choice to, to decide what, what to do. See, that was really a trick question, Major, that we asked you that, because we got a hold of your application for the National Institute of Fire Restoration. And in this, you listed your primary business areas as wood furniture cleaning, wall and floor cleaning, upholstery cleaning, carpet cleaning, and furnace and duct cleaning. So this probably goes back to the 1970s. And, you know, I remember you had some pretty slick color brochures pretty early on when, you know, no one Uh had that type of marketing material. And you had, uh, there was a photograph that you had in there, and it looked as though you had taken a piece of tape or whatever and, you know, to separate this chest of drawers that was in there and i remember you know once one half was beautifully restored and you know the other half was uh was was looking pretty bad that was just you know one of those photos that you know has stuck in my mind for a long time but speaking of marketing uh what was the best marketing thing that you ever did in terms of marketing your business well i did this particular uh ploy uh before i even had to use it because I knew I would have to use it one day. I, I had a uh, eight by ten uh, rug that you have made with uh, the lettering in it, mm-hmm. and I had it Oakmaster at work mm-hmm. and the phone number. Mm-hmm. And I knew I would use that someday on a big commercial loss. And sure enough, I didn't have it more than two months. And this high-rise apartment building had a fire, and I put it right in the lobby, even though I hadn't got any work out of the building yet I <laughs> right as you walk in through the front door and these were all older late older rich ladies that lived here i had the phone ringing until i had to tell them to stop we couldn't do anymore you know because there were so many there was at least a hundred apartments with expensive furniture in there and i i always when i got to a saturation point on on location work or even on packouts, i'd, I'd have to say I can't do any more. You'll have to call Service Master or New Look or another one of my competitors because we can't do any more. We're sorry, but we can't do any more. So, but that worked perfect. I got more work out of that one rug than any any anything I've ever done. I'm curious. Do you still do a little consulting work at all? Uh, well, I would. I just don't. Uh, <laughs> no one wants me anymore. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'll turn 70 next year, and I guess people think, most people in the industry think I'm already dead. So, (laughs) I don't know about that. Uh, Did you ever have branch offices with your business? Uh, Can you tell us about that? And, you know, uh, can you take us into the franchising side of it? Well, I first opened my first branch was in Tampa, Florida, and when it was initially successful, I opened another one in Houston, Texas. This branch was real lucky to get a smoke mansion in the first few weeks that we opened, and that was a 
$15,000 on-location fire, which was very good to start with. So Atlanta was doing so well that I just made a decision to advertise and franchise Smokemaster. I had no previous uh, success or or knowledge about uh, how to franchise other than just reading books and, you know, trying to find out how you would go about franchising and 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 I, I did it and if it you know hadn't had a problem I would have probably been more successful why don't you tell us about the problem what what exactly happened with that well after selling the franchise after selling franchises in Memphis st. Louis and Joliet Illinois I transferred my two branches Tampa and Houston to franchises and in this very same year service master took me to federal trademark court and made me desist in using my name as it was causing confusion with their market share so I gave my franchises a choice to let me bear the expense of changing their name to smoke services or letting them go independent with no liability and of course they all chose to go out on their own and I still remained friends with all of them for many years but uh, in, in 1978 I was just content to operate only smoke services and uh, as my only location and you know not try to be a big dog any longer more or less. <laughs> you know I think it would be a little bit different today I think that uh, you know I don't ever believe that they would have been able to win that win that suit but I, I know how big they were and uh, you know how intimidating uh, that the threat of litigation and, and so on and so forth uh, can be there's one question on this list I'm a little curious about here that Cliff put up uh, he says it's what prompted you to buy a Rolls-Royce major <laughs> uh, well I've always bought you know expensive cars when I even couldn't afford them but uh, at the at the time, I was feeling kind of frisky, you know. With uh, I guess I had sold some franchises, and I thought, you know, it was going to go uh, really big. And and I was having lunch with some adjusters and had a few too many cocktails, I guess. And then I <laughs> stopped stopped by the the uh, dealership and uh, just I couldn't. It was a chocolate brown chocolate brown brand new just come in. Uh, Rolls Royce Silver Shadow, and I just couldn't resist it. So I, I I kept it for about a year, and I did have a lot of fun with it. Just, but I had to use it at night because I couldn't let any of the adjusters know that you know I had a Rolls Royce. Affected <laughs> my business. I thought you uh, gave. But a... anyway. It, it was worthwhile. <laughs> I thought you gave a really good tip earlier, and I I just wanted to make sure that I got it right that. Um, you know, you kept calling these adjusters, whether they gave you work or not. I, I'm assuming that paid off in that, I don't know, maybe you could tell me, do you think it was just that you, since you were calling on a regular basis, your name was fresh on their mind when something came up, or maybe they couldn't contact someone else and they thought, let's give this guy a try? Do you know, did you ever check with them on why that worked? Well, most of these uh, and not, not most of the ones I called on, but I, I would say I had probably 20 adjusters that uh, at some time weren't my customer, but after I you know, saw them so many times, they would either, I'd ask them to go to lunch or, or uh, 
tell them about my company again, and they would, uh, you know, the, a lot of them were sick of you know coming in all the time. But I, I figured that it would pay off sooner or later, and some of them get a fire in there and they couldn't get service master to to go look at it or something, and they'd say, "Well, we just give major a call." It was worthwhile to persistently call on uh, insurance adjusters. I don't know if that's the case today because I'm sure it sounds like they've all got contracts with people so they you know don't want to use anybody except one person so that's my impression of today's market tell me about the engraved invitations well that that was to uh it was our i think our our first or second year in business I, i i said it was our anniversary and it was an engraved invitation just as it would be a wedding invitation i had them done very nicely and in a very nice envelope and mailed to 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 all the customers that I knew that existed and in it it said that we'd like you to have lunch with you and your partner at the Chateau Florida restaurant, which was the most expensive restaurant in Atlanta at the time. Uh, at any time, just call and tell the maitre d' you're coming in and they'll it's all taken care of as far as the expense. And some of them send them back and they can't, you know, they can't, they're not allowed to, you know, accept anything like that. But all in all, uh, over the period of the year, they didn't use them right away, but uh, I must have had 40 to 50 of them do use it. So, And it was productive. All I had to do was get one fire to pay for the whole fund. Nice. Very nice. Well, let's do this, Major. We're going to go to what we call the round table here. And bring back Glenn Fellman and Dr. Wow, and we'll go around the table one time and see if anybody has final questions and comments. And then uh, Cliff and I will also have some final questions. Okay, sure. Great. Hang on. Didn't wait. Well, it looks like the music didn't work, but that's all right. Let's just bring everybody back in, and uh, we'll go around the table. Let's start with uh, Glenn Fellman. Glenn, any questions? Hello. Well, you know, it's so interesting to, to hear from a veteran uh, from an industry that has gone through so much change in technology and, and systems and, and corporate structure, especially in the last 10 years. Um, so it's been really great to get the perspective of, of how things were versus how things are are today. I have a question which relates um, to the labor market in that I hear from a lot of restoration contractors that they're having a lot of trouble these days finding competent labor, um, labor who can read and write and that type of thing even. How would you compare the market for labor today versus the way it was 20 or 30 years ago when um, uh, maybe things were different, Major? Well, uh, in Atlanta, that many years ago, uh, I would say 95% of all my employees were black, and they always worked out better. Uh, Today, uh, in cashers, in a small way, we've got 100% Mexicans working. Now, I think this is going to vary in any market, but uh, I think you have to find who's who can do this type of work or who can be trained to do this type of work at the type of wages that, you know, that you can pay to make money with them. I think that's 
about all I can say. I appreciate that. I'll pass along to the next person and come back around to me if there's still time. Very good. Dieter? Well, I always learn a little bit. Uh, it's one of those things. Uh, there are many subjects you, know, you kind of take for granted. And then when you look a little bit deeper into it, there is a heck of a lot more behind it than what meets the eye you know, up front. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky to, to, to listen to that. As I said, I'm obviously not an expert in, uh, in that field, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested um, in the, uh, the intricacies of doing business. And, uh, yeah, if you work hard, you make it, and uh, I think that's good. And that's a tough it's a tough business because you're kind of depending on the the adjusters I would think you know they they hold all the cards and uh, I know Dieter you're not used to that you've always had uh, clients calling right. you you know and you didn't have to go out and uh, whine and die on the adjusters so it's a little bit different for you very much so yes all right uh, let's go over to Cliff major I always wondered what led you to pioneer this computer estimating for for damage repair well, um, back in 1977, I bought my first computer, which was the IBM personal computer, which was one of the first first computers, and it cost $6,000 and was one of my smartest purchases because after I bought it, I decided that I had to make estimates every day of my life, you know, and I had, they were line estimates and I had to hand write them. There was no, no structure to, to make it easier. So I knew I had to get, uh, design a program, you know, and get a program programmer to, uh, initiate it into this new computer. And after, uh, it took me a year to, to with it, um, constantly to, to, to make, to make this thing work. And, uh, and then after I made it work, I w was successful in selling it to other restorers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, I don't use it today because it was written in DOS, and, and I haven't uh, been able to, uh, you know, use it uh, recently. I guess I, I wanted to ask um, what, you know, you've been a pioneer in this industry. You've been doing this for probably 35, 40 years now. What have of all your accomplishments, which are you most proud of or which do you think stands out? Uh, well, I felt like just my my life, you know, as a restorer and, and my accomplishments with uh, Asker, which was, you know, I enjoyed that very much. Uh, uh, doing seminars for a year as, you know, as a... Uh, taking Martin's place for a year while he took a sabbatica, sabbatical. Uh, that was a very fun part of my life. And, uh, I would have met. My whole, life, my whole life has been very uh, happy, I think. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've had, you know, divorces and things like that, but that's, that's to be, you know, that happens. Right. I would imagine it had to be pretty satisfying to you know, go in and have somebody who's in one of the lowest points in their life just after a fire and uh, to be able to go in there and, and help them get back on their feet. It, it is. It, it certainly is. Uh, and they usually, you know, they don't look at you like the 
like they would the insurance adjuster. They're skeptical of the insurance adjuster, but they kind of look at you like you're a friend rather than somebody that's going to come in there and take advantage of their personal contents in their life. They kind of respect that. So that works out good. I can imagine, too, with your your calm demeanor and just during talking to you here right now, you probably gave people a real sense of confidence when you came in, and uh, that had to be satisfying. I did at one point. I I, I developed a audio-video program on a, uh, a portable audio-video thing. This was back in uh, back in the early days, and it would flip through the screen and show the insured and how you know how things are going to be changed you know once she uses our services and everything i think probably uh cliff would probably remember that i do yeah it's like way before laptops and you know i was thinking i had one made as well for you know our, our deodorizing system and you know you look at what it cost and bring people in to film this and you know you had to have a a speaker uh you know narrate it and you know this is like right. way, way before laptops and stuff like that but uh kind of like a slideshow yeah, yeah yeah before you could do a radio show out of a conference room in uh, Coriopolis, pennsylvania, pennsylvania huh? the internet. <laughs> right, right. we've come a long way major well let's uh-huh. uh i think glenn fellman may have had one more quick question glenn did you have one you wanted to ask um no not in particular i thought there's more time i could come up with a few but i think we've covered it subject well and you're you're up against your time limit we've got here, so. yeah what i'd like to do is quickly i want to before we um go i want to let everyone know we're going to come back with one more question for major and then we're going to let you know who's going to be on the show next week but before we do i'm going to turn it over to cliff and we're going to thank our sponsors one more time okay our newest sponsors legends environmental insurance services the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and or services. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Major, before we go, I just wanted to uh, quickly ask, is there anything that we left out or any uh, memories that you'd like to share with us real quick before we go? And then if you could tell people, uh, if you don't mind, how they could get a hold of you if they would like. Uh, I can't think of anything that you've left out. Uh, my phone number is 828-743-5975. Uh, my uh, website is uh, capital L, lowercase l, I-C-H-E-N-1 at AOL.com, and I'd be glad to talk to anyone that'd like to uh, give me a ring or send me an email. Well, great. We want to thank you so much for joining us this week on IAQ Radio, and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again down the road. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, before we go, folks, I just want to let everyone know that uh, next week we are going to have Mr. Don Weeks 
from uh, In Air Environment. And Don was on the show once before, but that was before the new AIHA Green Book came out, which just came out recently on uh, microbial issues. And uh, Don was one of the editors of that book, and there's been quite a bit of uh, interest in that book. I've been reading up on it. We're going to have an excellent show with Don next week. So please be sure to come back and join us next week when we've got Don Weeks of In-Air Environmental. All right, before we go, I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. It's always a pleasure, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. The wingman, Chris Boisel. And, of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Thanks to Glenn Fellman for joining us with IE Connections What's News. And uh, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Let's set another record this week. We were close last week, but it wasn't a record. Let's uh, download some more shows and set another record. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 